Amen. I'm just going to read a couple of verses this morning, and then we're just going to get right into uh, what, what I believe that, that I know that God had for me, and hopefully it's, it's for you, and I'm, I'm sure that it is in measure. I'm going to read from 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, it says, For God, God who is love, has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a very well-disciplined mind, a mind that knows how to think with him through Christ, through having the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16, Luke 18, 1 says, men, all of us, mankind, and what that's saying is men and women, that's the Greek word there, men should always pray and not faint. Because as you use as an example, he used a woman facing an unjust judge. And then in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8, this is where it is men, it is males. He says, I wish, I desire deeply that men would lift up holy hands. What are holy hands? There's no fleshly wrath or doubting. Lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Then, in Joel 3, and I'll read this in Joel chapter 3, and then I'm going to turn to 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Joel chapter 3, verse 10. It's very interesting how God has put this and the way he's given it to us in his counsel this morning. In Joel 3, and verse 10, it says, Beat your plowshares share, into swords, and your pruning hooks, your scythes, your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, Verse 1, it says, it is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of it, I can't tell, but God knows. That's very interesting. God does know. And that particular one was caught up to the third heaven, the very presence of God. And I knew such a man, whether he was uh, in, in his physical body or not, I, I couldn't tell, but God knows. Now that he was caught up into paradise, very presence of God, and heard words that he couldn't even put into a language. Awesome, awesome, but he, some say unlawful, and, and so, you know, un unlawful or unspeakable for a man to utter, meaning he heard things that no man could speak, only God could speak them. No man can utter, no man can speak these things. And of such a one will I glory. Yet of myself, of the self-life, I will not glory, 
but in my infirmities. <laughs> Are you infirm? Are you weak? The time, spirit, soul, and body. For though I desire to glory, I will not be a fool. I won't be foolish meant to glorify myself about anything, even when God has given me everything. He never gave it to me to glorify myself, but to glorify his son and glorify him who gave him and to glorify God, the Holy Spirit's teacher. I won't be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, I hold back, lest any man should think of me above that which he sees me or what he thinks I am or what he thinks he hears of me. For this thing I sought the Lord, and, and lest I should be exalted above measure, not thinking too highly of myself, not thinking too lowly of myself, not thinking of myself at all. That's humility. It's thinking of Christ and him alone. Usually in the flesh we think too highly or we think too lowly. And those are the areas that God is dealing with all of us, dealing with me and all of us. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, all this truth that he's given, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. How many have felt like you've been buffeted? Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. That's God's answer, his answer to his love for us, but for his love to, to flow in us so that we can think properly because we can't think properly outside of who God is. And God, in 1 John chapter 4, verses, verses 7 and 8, 16 down to 20, no man knows how to think properly without love, but something has to happen for us to experience the love that God loves us with, that love that's positioned us in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 23, into, into the second and third chapters, he has positioned us in the son of his love in Colossians 1 and verse 13. But for that to happen, something else has to happen. And here's, what, here's the thing that's missing. Here's what's missing when we think too highly of ourselves or we think too lowly of ourselves. I'm just sharing with you my lesson and the counsel of God to me, personally. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, I sought the Lord three times. He constantly did. How many times have we constantly asked God, please take this thing away? And we think it's the thing that inhibits us. Please take this pain away. Please take this uh, need of finances away. Please take these things away. Take them away. No, no. Lest I should be exalted above measure and th three times on a continual basis that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, because without the thorn, without the thorn reminding me how weak I am, here's what we would miss. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. Because that's where love flows. But not only love, this is what else flows through it. For my strength is made perfect in weakness most gladly. Are you glad 
Does it make sense to be glad when we're weak, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically? No, in the flesh, it's the last thing we want, we want to be. And it's the thing that inhibits. Because look what it says. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities. What? That the power of Christ, the power that Christ is, may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Well, do we? Why don't we? Why don't we take pleasure in them? Because what's missing? Power's missing. And when power's missing, we miss the love that he loves us with. He, it's not that he stops loving us. We just stop experiencing it because we're weak and we don't have power. But who does he give power to? The weak. And what does that mean? In every single area, every single circumstance, a situation, every place in hoopamoni and macrothumia, every single thing until we see him face to face is to teach us that we're weak. Because then the weak can say, you know, I'm strong. No longer in Joel 3.10 do I need a plowshare. It's not about what I'm doing. It's a sword. And that sword is the word of God in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, of which the Holy Spirit is the one that brings in the reality and experience of that power. That power. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Well, how many times have we said, we, we really do believe God loves us, but why am I experiencing fear? Why? Power's missing. Why? Areas where I'm strong in terms of rebellion and stubbornness in 1 Samuel 15, 23, or ignorance in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, especially verses 1 and 2. What does knowledge do without power? In 1 Corinthians 8, 1, it puffs up. Think too highly of ourselves. Then that knowledge without the power is going to fail us. And down we go. And now I think too lowly of myself. Too low now. Too low. God tells me something through his word. And then when I forget God and I don't have power, I go to, to seek to try and do it myself and try and figure it out in my mind. I get weary. I get weary. I get worn out. I get worn out. Well, so... When, when I have power, I can take pleasure in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Think about that. Isn't that amazing? So now I take pleasure in Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, diseases, all kinds of physical ailments. Look at the Apostle Paul. Many believe that he was epileptic. He had an ophthalmia, had extremely bad eyesight. That's why when you read uh, Galatians, especially in, in the sixth chapter, you're going to see he didn't have an amanuensis. He had to write it himself in huge letters. God was teaching him constantly, keeping him in a weak place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness so that the power of Christ could be there and now he could have a place to rest. And where do we rest? We rest in his love. I take pleasure in infirmities, do we? Do I? In reproaches, when, when circumstances and people, those Greek words, hupomone and macrothumia, when I get reproached, evil people coming against me, do I take pleasure in that? Or am I thinking too highly of myself? 
And then when I react, and I know I shouldn't, now I think too lowly of myself. In both places, we need his power. In necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. Listen, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am powerful. I'm strong. I'm very, very strong. Now, we're going to get into some Greek words, and I'm going to just share them with you, and as God has shared them with me. And the first Greek word, there, there's, they all have to do with God's power. The first Greek word is dynamai, and that means to be able. Another form of that word is dynatos, which means to be able. Another word is dynateo, to be able. Then there is this word that is a, alpha negative, dynatos, unable. Then there's that other one, a, alpha negative, a, dynateo. And it means to be unable. Not only am I unable, I'm, I, I am to be unable. Then there's this word dynamis. It means ability. The ability of God is his very power. Then there's, there's this word dynates, a ruler. Then there's this Greek word dynamuo, and it means to give power. And then there's this Greek word and dynamuo, and it means to, again, give power. Every one of these words in power, and, and these are the words that the Koine Greek New Testament uses in the scriptures. And here it is. All of these word stems that, we, that God is giving to us this morning have the basic sense of supernatural ability and supernatural capability. Again, dynamai means to be able. To be able with reference to the attitude that makes one able. And it means that now I have a will with power, and without it, I, I only function in my own will. To be equivalent to, that's what it means. No matter what circumstance, situation, no matter what we're going through, read them in Romans 8, 31 to 39. There's like 14 different things there. No matter what, we're equivalent to it because he gives us power, and it means to count as. So here, dynatos means this, one who has the supernatural ability and supernatural power of God. We begin to be kept by it. In 1 Peter 1, 5, we're kept by the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24, Christ, the power of God in the wisdom of God. And it means one who is now powerful. And this is it. Dinateo. Dinateo means to have the greatness and sovereignty of his ability that's above everything. Because if not, when we function apart from a submitted will, the love that God loves us with doesn't enter the experience because our experience of being loved by God is replaced by thinking too highly of ourselves in the flesh or too lowly of ourselves in the flesh, and then we become to be what? Alpha negative, 
Dinatos means one who has no ability or strength, meaning experience. Remember, we always must remember, and I must remember it with you, that because of the almighty grace of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ, uh, even our sins don't touch our relationship with God. It touches, they do touch. When we make them in place of the love, they do interrupt fellowship and intimacy with God. So it means one who has ability, or one who has no ability or strength. And then we begin to function in the alpha negative of dinaton, which means it's impossible, God. You can't possibly be doing this, God. It just is, this is not possible. Well, what is possible, impossible with men is possible with God. Matthew 19, 26 and Mark 10 and verse 27. It is impossible with man. Listen, it is for the Christian that's positioned in Christ experientially when they think too highly of themselves. Ultimately, it's going to lead, it's going to, lead to thinking too lowly of ourselves. And then it's impossible, God. You can't expect me to do this. No, because our expectation in Psalm 62.5 comes from him. and We need to wait and learn patience. And he has to reduce us down to the place of our present reality. We're weak and we can't do a single thing without him. In John 15, 1 through 5. Not able. Adinateo, not able. But here, the most important word of all of this, of these different stems, of that one word power, is, is what? It's dynamis. What is dynamis? Dynamis really is, in this sense, they're all important, but this is the most important word in this whole group of words. And what is it? It's supernatural ability with supernatural ability then anything is possible with God why because we have power do you ever do you ever think that your physical body did you ever notice why when your physical body you don't think you can meet the day you don't even think you could get up and somehow you get up do you know what was working there when we did get up, when I got up, when you got up, when we didn't think we could do it. No wonder it says in Micah 7, 8, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. Right there. Right in that particular place. Right there. Do you ever think you couldn't do it? I'm going to tell you why. Because he's given us physical power. Because long before that, he gave us spiritual power. And spiritual power is this. This is dynastis. And it literally means this. One who can do something. That's Philippians 4 and verse 13. The enemy says, you can't do it. He wants to get you in a battle with him. Well, the Holy Spirit says in Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can, that's the believer positioned in Christ, I can do all things which make me powerful and mighty. I can. Why? Because my God in 419 of Philippians has supplied all your singular need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, the son of his love that we can experience without power and he has to, we have to be in a weak place to constantly receive. So we have a proper experience, a proper image. We have God's proper viewpoint of us in Christ. And then also, 
this word dynastus, and this is D-Y-N-A-S-T-E-S, and it means this, one who can do something, or one whom God is ruling over. Oh, no longer the flesh, but God, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we get that, God is ruler. And then we have that Greek word, dynamuowo, and that's D-Y-N-A-M-O-O. And then N, E-N, dynamuowo. And it means both to give power. Who does God give power to? Where does love and grace and all, where does all his power and his love flow through? Flows through grace. Who does he give grace to in First Peter 5, 6? In James 4, in verse 6, those that are humble. What is humility? What is humility? Humility is who Christ is, active in me in the midst of my weakness. With power. Once, in Psalm 62, 11, once I've heard this. I said to my, my dear friend, who's been there with me through a lot of my ups and downs in a very intimate way. In my personal growth, I was speaking to him this morning, and and it's Psalm 62.11. Once I've heard this. How many times has God spoken to us one thing? How many times has he has to bring us back to that? Because what he speaks has power. Tremendous power. He spoke the worlds into existence in Hebrews 1.3 and framed them and holds them together in Hebrews 11 and verse 3. How powerful is this word? He spoke and it was. He spoke and it was. Could he speak any more clearer than through his son and who he has made his son to be in us and who we are in him? Once I've heard this. Twice I've got to come back, and that's innumerable times with me, that power belongs to God. He must give it to us. Experientially, the way he's given it to us positionally. And so it makes us strong. Now let the weak say, I am strong. To strengthen. You don't need a plowshare in this sense. There's times when you don't need that. That, although, that is times to receive. That's what Joel 3.10 is. You're to receive now. You're not to do. You're getting involved and you feel like you have to do when you're not even ready to do what God has called us to do with, with Christ through us, you need to receive. You need to sit at his feet in Luke 10, 38 to 42. Otherwise, you'll try and serve him in a very frustrated, irritated, fleshly wrath. Because we think that we know what we should do, when we should do it. Do you ever notice how, how wisdom flows from God's love and God's love is his is, and he releases it through his all power. Power belongs to God. And he gives it to those that are humble. And now I have power to not only experience and, and to experience the intimacy of his love for me as an individual. I have that. But now I have a, now I have a sound mind. I have wisdom and knowledge and it stabilizes me. And Isaiah 33 and verse 6. And I begin to build myself now on a foundation. That's what I do in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. I no longer build it on sand, my emotions up and down, 
through the initiation of the enemy's lies. Paul dealt with so many different things, and God used those things to even deal in his life as he dealt with others. Do you ever notice that? How God will deal with us as he has sent us to deal with others. He's still dealing with us, and it never stops. Remember when Paul was on in Athens on Mars Hill? He was there. Verse 16 of Acts 17, it says, Now Paul waited for them at Athens. There's a lot of patience involved. A lot of patience that's needed. There isn't any love without it, because love is patient. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Now Paul, while Paul waited for them at Athens, oh Lord, it just seems like it's so long. I know it. It's now the enemy convinces me, tries to convince me, tried to convince Moses. It's over for you. And God appeared to him in Exodus 3 and verse 5 when he was 80 years old. When he was done with himself, when he was done with trying to do, finally, now he could rest in his love because he was weak, realized it, and now the power of God can flow in the midst of infirmities, in the midst of disease, in the midst of it all, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical. His spirit was stirred in him. I know. You, you see sometimes what people are taught, and you see where they are, and you so want to do something. But it's necessary to wait for power, and it's wisdom is waiting. When we don't have power, wisdom is waiting. But he saw them. How many years was it that God had to do it in, in Paul here? He's in his 60s here. He met Christ when he was about 35 years of age on the road to Damascus. Everything prior to receiving the power of Christ, he considered to be, and if you read Philippians 3, 1 to 8, he considered it all to be a pile of dung. Too highly of himself, too lowly of himself. Why? No power. No power can experience the love that does, God does love us with. And I no longer have a sound mind. And my circumstances, my situations, where God has me, makes absolutely no sense. That's right. There's no sense without God's love. There's no experience of God's love without his power. And therefore, there's no sound mind. But you know, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16, we do have the mind of Christ, but the natural man, the flesh that's in us, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, receives not the things of the Spirit of God because he just thinks they're foolish. He's so angry at himself, so upset. Things don't make sense. They're foolish. You can't expect me. That's right. What does God expect of the flesh? Furthermore, he never gives grace to it in Romans 6, 1 and 15. God never gives us grace so that we can live in sin. Some think that, and then you'll think that if you, if you preach too much grace, you allow people to sin. It's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. No pastor is in control of the sheep, of the people that are Christ. He is. He himself is. 
Only one man ever did that. You see that in 1 Timothy 2, 5, Acts 4, 12, Acts 10, 43, and Acts 13, 38, and 39. It was one man. There's one mediator in Job 9 and verse 33. It's Christ. He has all power. He's God's all power, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Oh, and we're filled up in him positionally. And oh, how he desires the intimacy of that reality to function in our experience. So Paul waited. He had to wait for them. And his spirit was stirred up. That's Ezekiel 3 and verse 15. He had to sit where those people sat. And his heart began to be overwhelmed and stirred up in him. When he saw the city completely and utterly given over to idolatry. And what is an idol? Anything that's in competition with Christ. Anything. See that First John 5, 20 and 21. My little children in First John 5, 21. My children, my children, keep yourself from idols. The things of the world. First John 2, 15. The things of the world. I don't care what they are. They're things of the world. If they don't glorify Christ, they're the things of the world. Period. Period. Because fellowship is Christ. Why would we take time out to think that we need to do something and rest in something else or something else has my attention other than Christ? The whole city, the whole place was given up to idolatry. Therefore, he spoke with them. They were arguing in the synagogue with the Jews. And notice this, with the devout persons, people of reputation in the world, in the market daily with those that he met. Then certain philosophers, oh boy, certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Did you ever try to minister to someone, give them Christ? Others said, he seems to be one who brings forth all, this, all these different strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus. Jesus was strange to them. We'll see why. And see how the enemy kept it out and how he wants to keep it out of our, Christ out of our experience. And he taught Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Aragopas, saying, we want to know what this new teaching is and where, where, where you speak it. Who gave you authority and where did you get this? For you bring certain strange things, things that are so strange. How many Christians today think so many things are strange that are in the very word of God that bring out the very nature, character, and essence of God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit simply because they've never heard them before. They consider them to be some strange thing. And no wonder they think their trials are strange in 1 Peter 4 and verse 12 because it brings out Christ in 1 Peter 1 8 because otherwise in those trials God is declaring himself and when you see him, you love him. You don't even have to see him. You love him. And that's 1 Peter 1 and verse 8. You trust him by faith. Trust God by faith when you don't see things? Ridiculous. 
doesn't even make sense. It's impossible. He brings these strange things. For all the Athenians and strangers were there, who, which were there, spent their time, listen to what it says, and nothing else. What is nothing else? Without love, what do I have? If I don't have love, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, I am nothing. You think the enemy ever tries to convince Christians of that? Nothing makes any sense. Why? You're missing love. Why? You don't have power. I, did, I wouldn't either. And then without love, he, without love, it, what does it profit you? Where's the value? Nothing. Why do you spend your money on anything? You can come and buy and eat freely and hear the word in Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Why would you go, leave that, even with all that teaching, and go spend your money on something else? Because that's what it says in Isaiah 55 and verse 2. And it's something that will not profit you. You make your plans. You make your plans for the years. You make your fiscal plans. Oh boy. Are they about the details of life? And no wonder we worry in Matthew 6, 24-34. You got your budget all planned? They spend their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Oh, see? There's something other than the word, Christians. Something other than that. Something other than Christ. You, you can go and do this. You can go and have that. Love not the world. Okay. The evil world system. You know that in 1 John 2.15. Neither are the things that are in the world. Many of them we're ignorant of. But God is in, in his love for us. You bring these strange things to our ears, our hearing. But they were spending their time in nothing else. You know, John 6, 63. It is the spirit that, that imparts life. The flesh profits nothing. But the words that I speak unto you, the spirit, Holy Spirit, and their life, Christ. Colossians 3, 4. Listen, that's what it says very clearly in the scriptures. But either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst. He stood in the midst of Mars Hill. Right in the middle of all these, these uh, philosophers. They were these Greek philosophers. They were... Affected by Greek philosophy. What is that? It's just Satan. Some kind of philosophy. Some kind of ism. And said, you men of Athens. I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. You know what that is? You're too religious. Can, can, was I like that in an unsaved state? An unsaved uh, standing? Yes. Now that my standing is positioned in Christ, can I still function that way? You know why there's no uh, superstition in God's love? Because it doesn't have, the thing, have a thing to do with religion, because religion's of man. Oh, the programs, and not that I'm against them, and in their right order, or the buildings, and have all of those things and miss Christ. 
and think you need those things now. I don't know. Doesn't it say, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? Is that what it says? That's what it says. You are all, you're too religious. You're too, too superstitious. For I passed by and beheld your, your devotions. The gods that you worship. Really, the demons that you worship. Think about that. The demons that you worship. They can't touch the position. It's untouchable, 1 John 5.18. But boy, they can go after the experience. The enemy doesn't, he can't change the position. He goes after the experience. I beheld your, your, the, your, the ones that you worship. I found an altar then where you sacrifice yourself. With this inscription, to the unknown God. To the unknown God, whom you therefore ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. It goes down through, and you, you and I can see all of this. But what Paul was facing here at this particular time, Greece, Satan was using Greek philosophy. And what was he doing? It's what is called Hellenism. And he was Hellenistically affecting and ruling the world system. We see it today. We'll get into this in a much deeper way in the next few days if God has that, if he has it. They change, they change the thinking of everybody. You know, the enemy, wants to, once we're positioned in Christ, he wants to change the way we think. Go back to the old way of thinking. Go back to depending on that. We think it's depending on our own thoughts, and is it? No, it's not. That's why we need power. That's why we need power. Well, Hellenism, what is it? It's a systematic philosophy dating from around 300 BC that held the principles of logical thought, how to think, based upon anything other than Christ himself to reflect a cosmic reason. <laughs> Who's the prince and power of this cosmos, this world system? Ephesians 2.2, 2, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, John 12.31, John 14.30. Who is he? It's Satan. To what? Philosophy. To hold the principle that you can think properly and reflect properly cosmic reason that's been initiated in nature. And do you think the enemy would use that? You think he would use nature? Did he, does he do that to the unsaved? The moon, the stars? We'll get into these worlds, into these words in the scriptures, and they are listed there. But just think about it how we would keep the unsaved. And how he keeps the believer from experiencing intimacy because there's no power and there's no experiential love and there's no sound mind. Now I think I need things. And I think that I might be any different than the unsaved world when I function in the flesh. What am I going to go to? Gold, silver. What a house was made up of? Stone, brick, wood, nature. Nature. That's my first thought. My first thought, 
and I forget in, in Revelations 2 and verse 4, his first love. I forget it. And I go after all these other things. They consume me. Because we don't have power. We miss that love that he so deeply loves us with. And we don't have a sound mind. But that's what they would teach this. What is it? This Hellenism from, from Greek philosophy. It was to, to conduct conforming to the precepts of these Stoics who were under demons, Satan's army. As representing what? A, a repression, listen to this, a repression of emotions to pleasure or pain. You can meditate yourself right out of it. <laughs> you can do it. You don't need Christ, but you can do it. I'm telling you, and I, and I know in my own life, with physical pain, mental, emotional, and even spiritual, I am telling you, don't think it's some secret. God is allowing it. It's a thorn. And we will be more thankful for that than we could ever even realize when we see him and fellowship with him in Revelations 2 and verse 17. And when we do so, face to face with him. So those where Satan uses all of this, his so-called teaching with an effective force. How many times have, has God taught us, we need to be reminded in Isaiah the 14th chapter and Ezekiel the 28th chapter, back in eternity, when God, when there were just angels and no humanity yet, Satan fell. There was an angelic conflict. Before he fell, there was only one will. One will it was manifested by one thought force, Christ their creator. Christ in his pre-incarnate state created and made Satan. He didn't make Satan, he made him Lucifer. Lucifer through an unsubmitted will in his one final test and all the other angels. This is brought out again in Ezekiel the 28th chapter starting at verse 15 down through. That was their test. That was their one and only test unchangeable, immutable in the evil that they submitted to. And now Satan, now after that, there was only one force and one will and one function. And then when he fell, there became two now, called light and darkness. That's why in Isaiah 5.20, some put light for darkness and darkness for light. What is light for darkness? If it's not the light that Christ is in John 8.12, it's the angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. You ever know how some, even they worship the stars and the moon? We'll get into this in, in a greater way in the, in the next few days. Again, if God has it. Get occupied with all these other things. Get occupied with nature and how you can use it to uh, make yourself greater and more comfortable. To do away with pain so you can have pleasure and settle down. Well, you know, in 1 Timothy 5, 6, she that lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. What is our pleasure? Who is our pleasure? Well, that's John 8, 29, Romans 15 and verse 3. 
this is Matthew 3 and verse 17, this is Matthew 17 and verse 5, it's Christ who is the only one who ever pleased him. He is the very pleasure of God in Revelation 4.11. He's our very pleasure. And the enemy has all these other things for us to be occupied with. None of them impart to us power and love and a sound mind. None of them. Well, who were the Stoics? They were the Stoics here. Again, this is Acts 17, 18 to 34. Who were the Stoics? Now, the Stoics were ones that were referred to as self-originators. What's a self-originator? I don't need God. I have enough of God, I think, through my own study. I have enough of him. I don't need anyone else. I don't need the body. I don't need the body of Christ. I don't need that. I don't need to continually be taught, as the Bible makes crystal clear in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, right? E even in through the second chapter of Revelations in the 17th verse, and in Ephesians 3, 19 to 21, we're ever going to be learning and receiving. There in heaven, there won't be a disturbance or a distraction. But they were called, listen, self-originators. Why? Because they had self-moving force. Everything about the world system teaches us that. It's, we have to unlearn all of these things that have been so stored up in us and become strongholds. In 2 Corinthians 10, in verse 4, and in those strongholds, instead of held by his power and his love and sound mind through Christ in a continual experiential deliverance based upon a finished work position in Christ, he causes us to oppose ourselves. Tries to convince us that it is God that's opposing us when he wants to keep us and when we refuse teaching or we forget it in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24, then we oppose ourselves because God's not opposing us in Christ. Once we're born again, once we're positioned in his son in Ephesians 1 1, once we're in his son, seated with him in Ephesians 2 and verse 6, above everything positionally. God's only view of us in Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from his the righteous. The righteous is God viewing us through the righteousness of his son and who he's made us to be. This is 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. And the righteous Lord in Psalm 11 and verse 7 loves righteousness. Loves us. And he never removes his eye from who we are in Christ. The enemy tries everything to remove us from it. Getting us occupied with everything else. So that we, he, he wants to make us think that we are doing this. We're the ones that are doing this. You ever think of a businessman that could care less about God? Whose air is he breathing? Who designed his body? Does his reign and his son go on both the just and the unjust. This is Matthew 5, 44 and 45. Yes, absolutely. That's called logistical grace, but no saving grace, no eternal power that only resides in Christ and the Godhead. This again, it's Colossians 2, 9 and 10 for us in Christ. They were self-originators because they had self-moving force. Well, who was really doing it? This Greek philosophy the cosmic principle. Who's the prince and power of the air? The cosmos. It's the enemy, Satan, with his innumerable army. Revelations 12 and verse 4, his 
the dragon's tail to a third of the stars of heaven. And they fall in Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. The cosmic principle, the principles can be either evil or good, and you can confuse them. This is Isaiah 5 and verse 20, when you don't have the light that Christ is in Isaiah 8 and verse 20. The cosmic principle, and they want to make the cosmic principle to be the same thing that God is. You don't need God. That's his subtlety. You don't need God in this area. You need this thing. You need to go here. You need to watch this thing. It doesn't have a thing to do with God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. doesn't have a thing to do with it. Why does the church fail? Why doesn't the local assembly, why isn't it growing? Are the individuals that are part of it, all of us, this is true for all of us, every single one of us, and we can start with me. What are they occupied with? All the day long are we occupied with him. All the day long. Will they give me the power to do it? Thou is in Christ positionally, and I got to humble myself. Allow him to humble me and to reveal to me constantly that my only proper place before him is that I am weak in myself. We have the treasure in these fragile clay jars, but the excellency of the power is of God and not of us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Not a thing about us. Not one thing. Not one thought. Not one breath. Not one step. We can do nothing without him in John 15, 1 to 5. Same thing as God. You don't need him. Genesis 3, 1 to 6. You don't need him, Eve. You don't need him. You don't need him. I can show you something better. You don't need him. Philosophy. Horoscopes and such nonsense. The stars and the moon and figure out who you are. You ever hear a Christian? Say that, oh, I'm Taurus, I'm, I'm all these other, I'm Leo, I'm all, yeah, really? Did you ever read Deuteronomy 17, 2 through 3? Isaiah 47, 13 and 14? Deuteronomy 18, 10 to 14? Isaiah 8, verse 19? Scores of other scriptures we'll get into in the future. When you leave your first love, you start going those. Really? Yeah, do the unsaved, they guard their lives? They guide, they allow those things to guide their lives. Well, we wouldn't do that, would we? Oh, really? Weather? Weather's the cause of your call? You mean weather is? You know, it's one thing to love the sun, the moon, and the stars. But we need to be careful. All of us do. I do. Need to be careful that it's not, I'm not worshiping it ignorantly. Ignorantly. Because if You'll see it. Those will cry out in Job 28 and 29. Those things, the sea cries out, it's not in me. That's what it cries out. The oceans cry out, it's not in me, what you're looking for. The sun, nope. There were sun worshippers, the God's sun they had. We'll get into all these in detail. Again, if God has that. But, with that cosmic principle, that thought force to capture the will so that the enemy can cause us as Christians 
to oppose ourselves, and the unsaved, of course, to do so. That thing that he wants to give us, tells us we need, has nothing to do with the power of God. For God himself is power. Again, that's Psalm 62.11. That's 1 Peter 1.5. That's 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. And all these other things that we rely on, of what some call the universal force, pantheism. The one God, God is nature, and I'm going to worship it. Yeah, I better read Psalm 19, 1 through 6, and then follow 7 to 14. And Genesis chapter 1, and those 31 verses, you better read that in Psalm 24 and verse 1. He created it. This is, this is Hebrews 1, 3, Hebrews 11, verse 3. Our precious Savior did it. He created it in John 1, 3, and Colossians 1 and verse 16. It was power that did it. In anything outside of that, in this so-called universal force, nothing but demons under Satan. And they what? They personify the so-called capabilities, and they want to call it a neutral deity, meaning you don't need God, you can do this. No, this was that Hellenistic world, that Hellenistic world force. We'll see this again in Galatians 3 and verse 1. Who's bewitched you? Who cast you under, uh, under their spell? It's magic. You know what any kind of magic is? It's trickery, it's deceit. All magic, all superstition, it's based upon trickery and deceit. And deceit. Talk to anyone that's ever been involved with just magic. Go ahead. But get occupied with it. Do you ever have someone that tried to convince you it's okay to do that? And then someone else said, no, that's not good for you. Magic is the application of that principle. It seeks contact, not with God, not with love, but what? With the demonic, natural, and cosmic forces that will tell you that's deity. In place of God. That's an idol, 1 John 5, 21. Natural. You ever see about the wisdom in James 3, 14 and 15? That wisdom doesn't, doesn't come from God. It's earthy, and where it says central is natural. Get the Christian to live in their natural life, and that's everything. Oh, that's their whole plan for the year. <laughs> Did you leave God out? <laughs> Did I leave him out? Did I forget his first love? He didn't forget me. Revelations 2 and verse 4. Then another authority comes in. You know what that authority is? In the experience of the believer, it's what we trade for his love because we don't have power. It's we're not submitted either ignorantly or, or rebelliously or stubbornly. Well, we're going to begin to wrap this up this morning. And hopefully we can get into this and, and more. And if, Again, if God has that. Knowing these forces from the enemy, satanic forces, the magician can mediate them for the so-called good or ill of others. Isn't that interesting? Because it's not about self, is it? Yeah, it is. Anything outside of Christ is about self. And self, apart from God, there's no power for the believer to experience the reality of Christ and reality of a proper image. Just like the unsaved. 
And we will live just like the unsaved, the whole while declare the word of God, but not have it experientially because we don't have power. But here's the reality. God has not given you and I, and we'll close with this. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear because that's what the power operates on, the satanic force and power. It's fear. I experienced it on Sunday, and I experienced it through Monday. Fear. But God has not given me, and he's not given you in Christ the spirit of fear, but power. That's John 6.63 with a loving father. And love. And a real loving, a well-disciplined mind. And Father, we thank you. We don't want to live in fear. We're going to get into these in, in detail. How fear, there's no fear in love in 1 John 4 and verse 18. There's no fear in love. You take 2 Timothy 1, 7 with 1 John 4 and verse 18. And Father, we thank you for the word this morning and for more that I hope I can receive from you with others. If you will to do this in your time with your provision in Jesus' name, amen.